0: Welcome to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs, a webinar series that packs a ton of important agency information on one topic from one expert into a 25-minute brief. Why 25 minutes? Because who has the attention span for much more these days? And you can squeeze in a listen between meetings with time for a bathroom break or coffee refill before your next meeting. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bite-Sized Agency Briefs. I'm your host, Steve Guberman from Agency Outside, where I coach agency owners to build the agency of their dreams. I'm really excited to be speaking with Nick Deck from Agency Sidekicks. Uh, He's a fellow marketing industry veteran, agency owner, and offshore delegation enthusiast with a deep understanding of the intricacies of building a highly profitable, low-stress digital agency and launching side projects such as Agency Sidekicks. So thanks for joining me from your corner of the world, Nick. I appreciate you spending the time with me.
1: Absolutely, Steve. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to be here today. So we met, I don't remember how, but probably a little
0: over a year ago, I was looking for a VA that could help me with some post-production work. And somebody said, talk to Nick from Agency Sidekicks. And I got hooked up with a really talented, responsive, efficient post-production VA uh, who was able to do graphic design, video editing, things like that. But That's not your core business. So tell me, you know, where you started, how you got here and what the entrepreneurial brain has led you through a little bit.
1: Oh boy. Uh, I don't know if we want to go that deep into the entrepreneurial brain. That's a scary place. (laughs) Um, So I started, uh, you know, from, in terms of entrepreneurship, I started, uh, let's see, I don't know, 12 plus years ago, I had a a carpet cleaning company that kicked me off. And that actually is what got me into marketing. Cause I realized that in order to have a business, you have to be pretty good at marketing. Like you, if you can't sell whatever you need to sell, nothing else matters. So I took my time, got pretty good at marketing. And one thing led to another and ended up um, oh boy, four or five years ago now with, uh, with my own marketing agency. And took on, I was, I was in like, well, way over my head really early on. I took it from, from two to 26 people for a span of about a year. We were taking on massive, you know, 8, 9, 10 figure B2B tech clients. Like we just went, you know, we didn't, we did not start off, start out with uh, the traditional local businesses, you know, $1,000 a month retainers, that kind of stuff. We just, we got lucky and went, you know, went right into the deep end. Wasn't a, uh, hmm. you know, it wasn't the smoothest sailing. If I'm completely honest, there's a lot of intricacies in terms of working with that type of clientele that, you know, they just, you learn by doing it. Uh, and so that was, uh, you know, that was, that was part of it. But I will say that after having that experience, um, all of my you know, subsequent businesses <laughs> have felt, uh, considerably smoother, um, lighter, easier, you know, lower pressure, that kind of thing. And that's, and, you know, I, I don't take any of that for granted. Like, I, I appreciate the fact that there's hardship and then on the other side of the hardship, you're stronger bigger, better, faster, stronger, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. And so it's, I, I feel like that set me up for success in, you know, a lot of what I'm doing today. Um, my primary business is agency sidekicks. Um, we, where we basically focus on helping agency owners and, you know, sales and marketing teams scale, but also not, not, not only scale, but take on, um, reduce a lot of the operational inefficiency and you know, the, the, profitability issues that a lot of folks face, especially when they're, they're going through early growing, uh, grow, yeah. early growth reasons. And the way that we do that is by trying to leverage some of their core talent, um, more effectively, you know, cause a lot of times you bring on somebody that's making 50 to hundred grand a year, somewhere in that range, and they're still doing like, you know, eight $10 an hour tasks. And so when you can maximize the bandwidth of this person and then have all the other stuff kind of, Fall onto the shoulders of folks that are co- you know costing you significantly less. Then it tends to keep that person uh, keep that person's bandwidth fair, fairly well spread out and freed up, and it also helps them keep themselves in areas where they enjoy what they're doing. And they're providing you know they're they're, they're doing the creative, strategic thinking instead of all the kind of grunt work and stuff like that. So that's a, a big part of what we do today. So I want to back you up
0: a minute because you said you grew. So you launched the agency Heroes of Marketing. You said it was called.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you worked with big brands from early on, mm-hmm. big tickets. But you also said it was lucky, and that's what I tripped up on because I don't know that I don't, I don't not believe in luck, but I also really don't believe in luck too much. So okay. you know, you you pulled away a lot of lessons that you were able to apply to future, you know, business endeavors of what we stumbled over, what happened, but those stumbling blocks you know, serious lessons there. Like, so what were some of the things that you put in place that allowed you to get those big clients? And then what were some of those lessons that you took away from it?
1: So I was fortunate enough to work in a similar agency model prior to starting my own. So that was one of the big pieces that I, when I say that I got lucky, I went from selling my my little carpet cleaning company and moving into the marketing okay. space full-time as a professional, working with an agency for about four four or five years there. And they showed me how to do, reach, you know, outreach that would get in front of like the CMOs of the world, of the of the big corporations, that kind of stuff. They showed me how to do um, service clients in a way, because I was I was actively fulfilling for that type of client for, for multiple mm-hmm. years. So managing those client relationships, those engagements were, was um, you know, I was one of the team leaders there, and it just it put me in a position where I had to you know, it was sink or swim. Like it was like you're going to take on this big ass client. And if you fail, like that's a a five figure contract and you're probably not going to be around for, you know, for too much longer. So that, that was where I got a little lucky because I got, you know, I got originally hired just like a a copywriter, like freelance copywriter. And they just pulled me in real quick and, you know, taught me everything I needed to know. Um, and then when I left that agency, I actually had one of the big clients. Our biggest client today was our first client and they reached out to me and they said, Hey, if you're going, I'm going with you. And so we had, we got to start okay. with a five figure contract, which was where we got, you know, it was, it certainly wasn't all about luck, but we did get lucky in having that person or that, that team come along with us because they, they stayed with us for years until they got acquired in this, you know, big, big M&A roll up. And um, yeah, so that was, that was a, a really nice starting point. I got, I got to learn how to do it on somebody else's dime. And then as soon as I started an agency, I got, you know, I got my first five figure contract and. Got to kind of replicate that process over and over.
0: Gotcha. So luck in the sense that so, that you had built a relationship and there was an allegiance there from the client. They wanted to come with you. Um, you got the experience. You kind of cut, got to cut your teeth on somebody else's dime at this other company, and they taught you the ways a little bit. Mm-hmm. The growth that you experienced, you had to have you know learned real quick. You know, dub it as like learning to build fly the plane while you build it kind of thing what you know you had to put some systems in place obviously in order to make that scale work so you didn't implode right what were some of those lessons that you learned along the way in those first
1: couple of years oh boy um so when i was in the other agency i had a really strong uh operations manager and scrum master and because we were you know we're an agile agency and so they were kind of supporting all of the systems building and things like that. And so I just got to, to leverage their systems and, you know, execute the engagements based on their systems. When I started my own, I realized very quickly first, first and foremost, there's another piece of good fortune that kind of fell into my lap. I had some very talented people show me how to do the systems and processes side of things. And so that's, I, I still, to this day, utilize some of the tactics and some of the strategies that we, we used in that agency. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that I didn't realize is just how uh, how refined that these systems need to be like when you can't just copy out a system from this agency and plug it in here and it's going to work perfectly. It's it needs to be always, you know, always being iterated, polished, tinkered with, and that, you know, based on real world data, like you have different clients, you have different team, you have different, uh, different moving pieces. And so there was that Um, and then I also realized that even big agencies often are running on much thinner margins than they let on you know they're, they've got all these people they've got all these big contracts but i think that one of the things that i saw was like i was running similar numbers to you know other agencies i, I had been exposed to and because they were all of my my team was domestic and because they're all like you know they were all making pretty good money like we were making a bunch of cash and we were pouring it right back out like it was it was just like this big kind of you know it was this big sad sad uh you know, profit and loss statement, our PLs were just like, so here's all this money we're making and then here's all this money we're spending and there's this little bit in the middle then that's for you. And um, that was that was one of the hard realizations there. And so that was actually one of the big, um, you know, big, big incentives, I would say, to go offshore. It's like, we, we saw that there were still really good people like in the team, but they were maxed out in terms of capacity and they could only take on a certain number of clients. But if we could bring in folks that were making, you know, somewhere between, you know, 20 and 50% of what they're, what, what these higher, uh, higher paid folks are making, then we'd be in a position where we could really maximize their, their capacity and their bandwidth. And that was one of those things that was just like, you know, we had this kind of light bulb moment and we took a couple months to kind of restructure the team and restructure the org chart and bring people into just, you know, to, to take off all of the things that weren't really high leverage activities. And those were, it, it, it ended up like one of the things that was immediately obvious was like, oh, we should have done this so much sooner because there are so many things that can be done by somebody that's making, you know, somewhere between five and $15 an hour, for example, versus, you know, 25 to $75 an hour. And that was, that was the the hardest lesson I had to learn. Cause I, I just have the sheer amount that we paid out, but also like one of the most positive lessons that I've ever taken away. is like, there's so many things. There's so many good people out there that would be stoked to make, you know, 10 to 15 bucks an hour. And they're really, really good at it. And they're highly, you know, hold themselves highly accountable. They're fully, like, fairly autonomous when they operate, that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. that was, that was, that was my favorite, um, favorite lesson of the entire experience, I think, because it, it led to everything we've got going on today.
0: So, so systems that not only you just plug and play, but systems that need to be reviewed, refined on a regular basis so that they work for your team. And as your team grows, evolves, changes, shifts, whatever processes, also need to go with them and evolve as well. But then also you found out the benefit of offshoring. Not only do you have access to so many beautiful, talented people, but you can get kind of a three or four for the price of one kind of thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, What kind of, what kind of kickback did you get from your internal team on that? It actually was really positive because what ended up happening is like we had some lower level players that just didn't need to be there. And they, you know, they went off and found another place to work. But what we ended right. up doing, was like for the for the cost of one of those people, we could bring in, you know, three to support, you know, if somebody was head of content, for example, or head of paid media or something like that. They then had far more people that they could leverage in order to get these client engagement fulfilled. And so it was it was pretty. Pretty well accepted. There was a couple things that I experienced where there were um, communication and cultural barriers and things like that. That it's it's going to be a part of integrating folks from different places. You know, just you just mm-hmm. it is what it is. Different places, different um, uh, different cultures are going to communicate differently, and they're going to have different levels uh, with way they uh, different ways that they hold themselves accountable, different ways that they. Um, and different levels of proactivity and things like that. And but what I what I learned then also was that it wasn't just about finding people that were uh, that were cost effective. It was about finding people that could, you know, that were really like in any business. Like you need you need somebody who's just going to be an absolute rock star, and you know those are the people you hold on to and you nurture yeah. those relationships and that kind of thing. It's not a it's not just about being cheap. It's like, can they do the job and do the job well and do the job on their own for the most part, and then just seek, you know, seek the guidance of that, that head of the department versus always being, you know, spoon fed and, you know, being tracked down and like, Hey, what are you doing today? And that kind of thing. Like, it's, there are going to be people, doesn't matter where they're from, that are just not right for the agency space, because we need to move quickly. We need to trust that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if they, if we can't do that, if there's somebody's job is just a babysit, then it feels like there's, there's. Those probably aren't good people to, hang, uh, to have hanging around in your team.
0: Right. So, so the, the initial step was, cool, we've got this team all onshore. We can get rid of some, be more efficient, people that aren't a good match, get rid of them um, and replace them with talent offshore. That then evolved into there's a business model here. There's other agencies that have this need there's the entrepreneurial spirit saying, let's do something else with this. But that first step, like what was it like integrating, or I guess I should, I should say expanding culture, right? Because this was pre-pandemic. This mm-hmm. was pre everybody chasing this model now. And so how did you maintain culture from all domestic to now a hybrid onshore, offshore, integrating people, language barriers, things like that, pay Is disparities right? even?
1: Yeah, and no, that's a really good question. So uh, one thing that I've recognized is that there are very few people that that, um, that you want on your team if they're focused on pay disparities at all. Like, if somebody's yeah. looking at how well they're compensated and saying, this person earns this much, I earned this much, that's a problem, then that's probably not a good person to have on your team anyways. Like, their their merit is going to be, or their pay, their compensation should be based on the value they provide to the team, period. Like, if they provide if you can do this activity that drives this much revenue for the client or for the customer um for the for the agency for example then they need to be compensated like that because these people who are making a third their you know a third their wage they can't do this one thing that kind of thing so that yep. was that that's something that i've been very clear with my entire team with since the very beginning is you get compensated it doesn't matter where you live but you get compensated based on how how uh, how much value you bring to the table and like i still have one of my companies is run by somebody who's based in Mexico, who makes more than my, uh, than some of his American subordinates, because he provides an exceptional level of value. Like he's just stood up, learned a lot and taken on everything. And he basically runs the company and he has folks from the US who are his, you know, who he he tells what to do basically. So it's um, it's all about, can they do it? Can they do the job and can they do the job better than anybody else on the team?
0: Right. I don't love awesome. that whole bit. yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's Thank awesome. Uh, what about as far as like extending culture and, and kind of extending, integrating, you know capturing all that now as a hybrid team? I think that one of the
1: things that I have been good at just as an innate superpower is bringing people together and establishing really strong communication systems. So hmm. regular huddles where they get to see each other face to face, and it's not always work like if you get to intro like have the first few minutes of the huddles be hey how how are you doing what's going on tell me about what you did on the weekend that kind of stuff so people get to actually establish a bit of rapport that's always been really helpful and also assigning um direct reports having an infrastructure in the company that's like this person reports to this person so it's not like this person supports all of these other people and they you know they they might just go to them with one off tasks, that kind of thing but having direct relationships between uh, you know, managers or leaders and their subordinates. I think that that tends to be something where naturally the evolution is going to be that these people learn to work together more closely and intimately and anticipate one another's needs and that kind of thing versus like just like having a one of the one of the reasons that I like the way that we've done things is like the Upwork model is really challenging when you've got somebody's like, okay, here's my core team, these are the people that do most things, and then we'll just throw some projects out to a VA every once in a while, we'll give them like five right. hours a month, and it's like. They don't have a relationship there there's no accountability there's no like they don't care whether or not your your company succeeds you know it's like yeah. right? they're a contractor way out on the outside so i try to build people into the, as, as a member of the team as much as possible because once they have that that identity is i'm part of the company i'm a piece of something bigger than than myself it's not just like i'm here to do a job i'm trying here to just get shit done like i'm sorry if i'm not supposed to curse on the, on here but Um, but like once they can move past being a subcontractor, being an outsider, they integrate into the team, that's something where they naturally typically move towards taking on more responsibility and providing more proactive value versus just being told what to do and that kind of thing. So that's one of them. Um, but yeah, having, like, I personally really like having some sort of, some sort of operations focused role within the company. That's one of my favorites, just having a a project manager or an operations manager that keeps everybody like their their job is to keep the the team integrated and it's not just like hey did you do this task but it's like hey this person's having trouble with this task let me introduce let me get you guys on a, on a, a call really quick so that you can address the issues that you guys that this person's having or something like that like bringing them to, to together that's that's one of the things so that i i feel they're trying to have somebody in place to do that at all times or been the person myself. So like, if I hear an issue and there's somebody on the problem, that can help them solve it. I jump on, I get them on a call and they just work through it together. And like, just like prioritizing that time tends to work out really um, that it obviously there's nobody, nobody likes having more calls, but when you can invest in in like solution oriented communication early on, then it tends to be something where the payoff long-term, the ROI long-term, everything that I I do, I try to think of it long-term. It's not like you know, bring that person in, give them what they need as much as possible, as soon as possible, because then they're better set up for success and they're probably not going to need as much of it longer down the road. So that evolved into agency sidekicks. So now you're running two
0: businesses. You've got the agency going. You've now got this outsource model where you're both bringing on people that have talent and looking for agencies. So your business development on both sides, How are you, uh, how are you running both of these
1: shops? It's a really good question because that's actually 1 of the things I didn't anticipate before I got into this. It's, uh, Mm -hmm. it was, it was kind of funny because what ended up happening is. We had, we had reached out and used a bunch of, like, staffing agencies and the kind of traditional recruitment model was letting us down in our agency. So we got really good at recruiting internally. And then we got into this, what ended up happening was had folks come to us and they said, Hey, I saw what you did for your company. Can you do that to us? It was just, you know, people in our network, other agency partners and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they, they were like, yeah, I guess so. And so it kind of like, we started, but like the first six months to a year was probably mostly just like helping other people around us do the same thing. You know, it wasn't a, a formal business model yet, but once we got into, you know, working with new clients and things like that, we realized that we had. Two problems, you know, there's always the the business development, like you said, on the front end of any business, but then there's the actual talent acquisition and like the the recruitment model that was something that was new to us because we, we could recruit, you know, for our own agency fairly well, but recruiting at scale was something that was different. So it's like, it's almost, it's almost like a marketing engine in terms of just like we use, um, you know, outbound messaging on LinkedIn and things like that. We run ads, we do all sorts of stuff and it's um it was a interesting problem to solve for but the funny thing about it was that with recruitment it ended up being just marketing like sales and marketing for you know for people and so what i mean by that is like we'll reach out on linkedin and we'll set up an interview or set up an appointment you know we'll have the the sales call or we'll have the interview uh same thing or like we'll run an ad for for a role and we'll schedule an appointment which is the sales call and it's like it's the same exact thing and that but you know it's it's it tends to be easier to recruit people in general to get people on the call like there's a lot more people that want the job it's the the other part was just like having having um having technically skilled people that also have the emotional intelligence to identify whether or not folks are going to be good in terms of like personality and culture fit that was a big challenge that we had to address we didn't we solve for that later because we ended up having issues where like someone was a fantastic human but didn't have the technology uh technical skill set or someone had the technical skill set but they weren't that great of a human being. And so we ended up having to figure out how to get both in one person. And um uh, and that was that was an interesting dilemma. But yeah, it was um you know, it's all part of entrepreneurship, it's all part of building building the business, right? It's like you you encounter a challenge and you address the challenges as they come as like. I, I think I saw a, a Hermosi piece the other day where there was just basically like, you know, that is entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship—just one challenge after the next, and you just grow based on how, sure. how many challenges you know, overcome, you know, so it just is what it is. But I, I, um, uh, I appreciate the fact that at least now I can anticipate that, like, there's never going to be a day where we're just like smooth sailing. We're done. It's, uh, it's just part of the, part of the game, you know, we're all playing it.
0: Yeah. So are you are you also coaching agencies on how to have that deeper emotional intelligence or how to better on board or how to better cultivate culture? Or are you like is that part of what you're doing with agency sidekicks or is it strictly here's a designer, here's an editor, here's a copywriter, here's a PPC person like
1: what agency side things are you guys providing? It's a really good question. So I think that one of the benefits that we bring to the table is the fact that we do go above and beyond for like folks in the agency space. It's not just like, here's a person, good luck. We try to integrate them into the team as effectively as possible. And what that looks like is we've got, we just have a lot of different data points to be able to say, hey, this person, like, here are the weak points in your operations. Like, well, here's what we can do to address those things. And so, like, we do, um, you know, our, our sales call is just really just figuring out what you need. And then we go and put together, you know, three to five candidates, and say, "Here's here's some folks. Interview them." When somebody says, "Okay, look, I, I'd like to work with this person," that's just when we get started. So we jump on a kickoff call. We'll get access to accounts. We'll set, you know, set goals. We'll make sure that we have an ideal target for all to be pointed towards. Um, we, but we also like that that first month at minimum, we're going to meet on a weekly basis. We're going to identify any obstacles that are coming up, um, and then that person is on our team is going to bring it back to the collective team. And we're going to either come up with a training plan or we've got SOPs that are in place. We've got all these different things so that we can help kind of help our clients better leverage the talent. It's not just like, Hey, you know, you're onboarded now, you know, go have, have fun, have fun. And we'll talk to you. Never. It's more of a, an ongoing managed service where we're constantly evaluating the performance of the talent, but we're also constantly evaluating the feedback of the sidekick, excuse me, the, the client themselves. So like, in a situation where somebody says, "Hey, you know, I've got, I've got them doing all the things I originally intended for them to do, but now we want them to take on this new responsibility. I don't know how to delegate it to them." We jump on a call and we just map out the moving pieces. We say, "Here are the seven steps for that thing. Your sidekick is going to be responsible for three, five, and seven, and you know, this is going to go to somebody." Like we try to help them figure out where what needs to be put in place, how they need to hold that person accountable, who else on the team is going to be uh, working on this. There's there's a lot of different. Uh, a lot of different levels of support that we provide there fortunately um we can kind of you know on the, in a, in our near, early discussions we can we can typically identify like okay so this is the newer agency they're going to get a lot more hand holding we'll schedule more calls more frequently for a longer duration or if there's somebody that comes to us and they're like look been there done this you guys i got this i just need your help saving me time finding a really good person then we're like cool we'll right. just get you that one but it's it's there for the, if they want it they, they also have access to like We have a bunch of tools that we pay for the enterprise subscriptions to. We have, and we give access to all the sidekicks so they don't have to buy new tools. There's a bunch of SOPs. There's a bunch of different little odds and ends that we kind of build into the offering to make sure that it's, uh,
0: you know, just that they get more out of it than just
1: just a person, you know?
0: Yeah, love it. And I can personally vouch for the talent that I've had access to through you and your team. They've been exceptional, proactive, creative, smart, enthusiastic. I love it. So I want to jump gears real quick Um, actually, I got a couple of quick rapid fire questions not related to agency sidekicks. So the first is what was the lesson that you pulled out of 22 that you're bringing into 2023, uh, to shift up the way that you do things,
1: uh, relationships are probably one of the most powerful assets that you can develop. And it's not something that you can do, um, just, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of just developing a process that like somebody's building relationships for your company you got to go do that. And what I mean by that is like, I've had, you know, I've, we've done fairly well on our own. When I say on my own, I mean, I've got a fantastic team, but like not having a bunch of referral partners and things like that and people that, you know, new opportunities to us. But in the last year I've really made room in my calendar and room in my, um, you know, mental, mental bandwidth for going out and building relationships with people. And I've had more, um, just, fantastic opportunities present themselves like um private equity introductions and things like you know like taking sidekicks for example we're doing one, two, five, six, five uh five or six sidekicks like something like that and they're like hey we need to build out a team of 20 or 100 or something like that like that's what's coming down the pipeline for us or uh for the agency you know if we've, we've got similar opportunities so i would say that just investing in investing some of your time in building authentic relationships where you provide value first to people and then letting them, you know, letting that be how you showcase your expertise. That's been something mm-hmm. that has been really fantastic. Um, cause I've, I can't tell you how many cool things have been opened up for me, how, how many cool doors and opportunities have been opened up in the last year, just because of the people that I've met and know, and have been introduced to, and it just continues to impress me. Um,
0: Nick, I really appreciate your time. I love what you're doing with agency sidekicks. Um, if anybody's interested in checking them out and um, learning more, I'll drop the links in the, in the info below with the podcast. Uh, Nick from Agency Sidekicks, thank you so much
1: for joining me. Thanks, Steve. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Ben.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Bite-sized Agency Briefs. As always, if you found value in this episode, chances are someone else will too. So please share it with your network. Also, if you know someone with expert knowledge on a topic that agency owners would love, drop me a note. Let's get them on. Finally, find someone to hug today.